It's Monday, October 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today, the name's Moser, Jason Moser. <laughs> oh, Thanks for man. being here. That was well done. I, I mean, people, you, it'll make more sense as we go on here, but I, I like that. That was very, very good. Yeah, we're going to get to James Bond and how James Bond did over the weekend. And we're also going to get to the big banks that are kicking off earnings season later in the week. But first, we got to talk about Southwest Airlines because shares are down a bit today after they canceled nearly 2,000 flights over the weekend. Southwest blamed it on a combination of bad weather, air traffic control issues, and staffing problems. Although I will point out, other airlines have to deal with bad weather and air traffic control, <laughs> yes. and other airlines weren't canceling nearly 2,000 flights this weekend. Um, you know, we, we talked the other day on Motley Fool Money about hiring being an issue that's probably going to come up this earnings season on a lot of conference calls. You look at this story, Jason, it really seems like Southwest is dealing with more than just hiring issues. They're dealing with staff issues. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, and, and that, yeah, to your point, that is a big, uh, that's a big spate of cancellations. There. I mean, it was about 24% of their uh, overall um, flight flight operations. I mean, that, that's a very significant situation here. I mean, honestly, a little bit, uh, a little surprised that the stock wasn't um, under a little bit more pressure from this, but perhaps. Uh, investors are willing to take a bit of a bigger picture uh, view here. I think it, it, it's so it's interesting to, to read about why people think this happened, right? I mean, there there are you know, there's there's the side of folks who say, well, that's what you get when you mandate vaccines, and then other sides who say, well, you know, it, it has something to do with the actual uh, airline itself, and you know, you, you, it's it's a it's a horrible jobs environment and. Why are they having trouble staffing? I think it's a combination of, first thing, throughout the pandemic, Southwest has been making investments, been making efforts to spread its wings, so to speak, um, gain market share, play a little bit of offense. Uh, kind of like I've, I've, I've talked about before with Darden restaurants. Um, they saw weakness in the restaurant space throughout this this stretch of time and thought, okay, well, we're in a position where we have the balance sheet and the ability. We can try to capture more of this market share, spend some money up front, really, in, in, in the name of capturing more market share. And it may drag results a little bit in the near term, but longer term, it's a bigger bigger picture. It's it's the right thing to do. So Southwest, during during this, this pandemic, I mean, clearly air travel has been one of the most impacted uh, markets. And Southwest has, has invested. They played a little bit of offense to expand uh, their routes, to expand uh, their their services. And I, I think that's the right thing to do, honestly. I mean, with, with airlines, really, if you want to grow, you, you, have to, you have to offer more uh, routes and more flights. Um, but, but what they did in, in the process of this is they started spreading themselves very thin. And you know, I think what this really does is it shines a light on, on air travel and shows how really difficult running an airline can be. I mean, it is it is one of the more complex logistical uh, equations that, that you constantly have to try to figure out. And, and I mean, just go to the airport and you, you see the arrivals and departures, and it's just an amalgam of like, 
how in the world do they make all of this stuff work? I mean, it, it is not just uh, on the airlines themselves, right? I mean, you've got air traffic control uh, to deal with and whatnot. So I, I think, I mean, there were clearly some air traffic control issues in Florida, and there were some weather issues. That that's not that that's not a made up excuse. That is real. Um, I think part of the staffing issue really more uh, relates to Southwest's efforts to grow. It's 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 adding of of routes and services. Uh, they just kind of spread themselves a little bit too thin, and then they got hit by a few uh, sort of external factors there that really made it a very very difficult logistics problem. Probably one that they really uh, couldn't couldn't fully solve, and that's what resulted in having to cancel all of these flights. Uh, the good news, I think, is it's something that will pass. But, but they absolutely need to make sure that they are staffed up appropriately for this for this growing business if they want to if they want to maintain that that customer service reputation that they've been able to foster up to this point. I'm glad you mentioned the Darden example because I think this is something that we see a lot more often in restaurants and in retail, where typically at the end of a fiscal year, restaurant chains, major retailers will talk about. Uh, their footprint and how many new locations they're going to be opening and are they closing ones and you know all that sort of thing and some I know that I have made uh, the comment over the past decade at various points in time about a given retailer or a given restaurant chain when they come out and say this is how many locations we're planning to open in the next year and my comment at different points in time has been that doesn't seem like a lot you know why? Why aren't they aiming higher? And to your point, it's like you want to grow smartly. You want to make sure you're not overextending yourself. And uh, you know, it's not the sort of thing where you can just snap your fingers and uh, you know throw up a new restaurant and hire a bunch of people to staff it accordingly. And you know, as you said, it, it might have been that Southwest got a little bit over their skis. But this is this is definitely something to, that bears watching. And as we head into earnings season, it'll be interesting to to see um, if other airlines get questions about what's happening at Southwest and any comments they make. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely, uh, it particularly as, as you watch the, the, the rest of this year play out, I mean, we're seeing all sorts of signs. I mean, I, I think we're just going to see more and more people traveling, right? I mean, we are at a point now where I, I think just... You know, we were talking about this with Delta, I think, last week. I mean, there's just more and more people, I think, are, are feeling more and more comfortable getting out there and, and feeling like the the, the quote unquote risk uh, is 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 you know not 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 as great because we have all of these tools. Um, and so you're going to see, I think, traffic continue to pick up. So I mean, Southwest, that's a nice that's a nice thing, right? You, airline, you want the demand, but you have to be able to satisfy that demand. And there are a lot of airlines out there, and a lot of bigger airlines that that seemingly didn't have to deal with this same problem that Southwest had to deal with. Um, and so, so yeah, it, it, they they will they will want to make sure they don't let this uh, persist, right? I mean, this is something where if you continue to see, well, they had to cancel more flights, and and they're not like you said, they're a little bit ahead of their skis. Um, I mean, that that could have some longer lasting implications on on the stock price uh, is is perhaps the growth growth prospects don't seem as attractive as, as, as they once were. The 25th film in the James Bond franchise opened in the U.S. and Canada over the weekend. No Time to Die took in $56 million at the box office. 
putting it just over $300 million worldwide. This is an MGM film, but you, you, know, you, you read the coverage of this and it's clear it wasn't just MGM that was rooting for the success. I mean, this really was, uh, this is uh, one of those tentpole movies in the same way that the, the Top Gun sequel, the next Marvel movie, you know, these are, these are films that are designed to get people in the theater. And it's hard to look at this as anything other than at least a little bit disappointing. They were really hoping for more. And when I say they, I mean literally everyone in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I feel like apparently, I mean, MGM's expectations, this landed squarely within their expectations. Now, hopefully they were going in there um with with more of a conservative take because it does it does feel it does feel like that's still a, a pretty light number and that that's probably for a few reasons i mean i i kind of wonder i i, I we were talking about this earlier and, and it, for me at least it feels like maybe the james bond franchise i don't i don't know if it's gotten stale or if it's maybe not resonating with as many folks maybe maybe that's just not it at all. I mean, I, I, I still enjoy it, but I, I definitely don't get the same out of it as I did in my in my younger days. Um, I, I do wonder too, given the timing of all of this, given where we are right now, we've got a ton going on in the sports world. The weather is terrific. I, I just wonder how many people really feel like, well, of all of the options I have, maybe right now going to a movie theater just isn't at the top of the list. I mean, I, I could certainly see that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are enjoying enjoying this last uh, bit bit of good weather before fall and winter really kick in, um, and so so maybe there's a little bit of a timing thing there. But but I I, I think there is it, it, clearly we're not fully past. COVID concerns to where the masses feel like going back to the movie theaters. And, and that's going to be a problem. But it is encouraging to see such good global results. The global results are good. I think you're on to something. I mean, you look at the data regarding um, the age of the people who are going uh, to the theater for this film. Um, more than half of them are over the age of 35. And it's, it's yeah. the 18 to 34-year-old audience that really drives those tentpole movies. So I think, you know... I think your line of thinking regarding the the James Bond franchise and who it appeals to, it, it's less younger people, it's more older people, and, the, and that data was borne out over the weekend. Um, and I think you're right. I saw a stat this morning that the, um, the ratings for NFL football are the highest they've been in six years. We've got oh, the man. baseball playoffs going on. So, th this could be a little bit more of a long tail uh, whereas um, there are other movies, the opening weekend they do well, and then there's a huge drop off. I could see, um, I could see this film sort of putting up decent numbers for a few weeks here. But um, yeah, it's it, and it, last thing before we move on to the big banks is this is another thing you and I were talking about earlier. Nobody's really figured it out yet in terms of balancing the streaming versus. The box office. Um, you had made the point. The I guess this coming weekend, the next, I don't know, is that the forty third movie in the Halloween franchise? <laughs> like, I, it, it maybe it just feels seems like though. it. It's it's up there. <laughs> um, but it, it, that movie is going to be released in theaters, but it's also going to be released on the Peacock streaming service. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, maybe that's just another test for um, you know the people who made the movie, but. I don't know. I, I, I'm, 
I'm a little surprised that we're this far into the pandemic and nobody's still really sure how to balance theatrical with streaming yet. Yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely, the, the, the thoughts on the matter are all over the place, right? I mean, you've, you've got uh, however many days you feel like something should be exclusive to a theater before it can go into on-demand uh, versus you've got uh, Comcast, which owns Peacock and also owns Universal. Well, Universal is the studio responsible for Halloween, and so clearly Comcast is calling the shots here. I mean, they can just say, okay, well, we want this thing to go in the theaters, but we also want it to go into Peacock. Um, and, it, and I did check, so it was interesting, the Halloween thing. It's going to go on Peacock. It's going to be available for Peacock subscribers for no extra charge. Now, Peacock is is a tiered subscription, so you have the just that, that overall free. Then you've got like the $5.99 uh, or you know, whatever, the $5 ad supported, and then like the $10 no ads. Um, it, it'll be... I mean that 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 makes the experience watching a new movie like that when you know that commercials are coming up. I mean that stinks. Like I don't think anybody <laughs> I don't think anybody really likes that. Now the interesting thing is though, I mean convenience, I've said this before, I mean convenience is just super addictive. I mean I don't think people really think about how addictive it is because we've become so used to it. Everything these days is built on convenience for the consumer. I mean, Amazon really got this ball rolling, but now it, it, anything that you want is just available at the click of a button on your phone. And so for a lot of people, maybe it's a less than optimal viewing experience, but for the convenience of it all, maybe it's it's something that you're willing to forego and say, well, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and pass on the theater just because this is so easy and I'm still at the end of the day going to be able to see the, the movie. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it, it it is dependent on the studios putting out the movies and their relationship with the theaters and then also their relationship with the streamers because they all have to figure out a way to play nice. Um, but it sure feels like the theaters are the ones sort of at the... They're moving closer and closer to the bottom of the pecking order here, it feels like. And, and I, I, I don't know that that changes. It's not to say that theaters are going away, but, but maybe when we're looking for large and growing market opportunities, maybe, maybe the movie theater experience just isn't that large and growing market opportunity. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a market opportunity that's going to become more localized uh, to where the demand for that type of experience is. Well, it's Hollywood, so I'm sure everyone is absolutely going to get along and play nice with each other. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, Earnings season kicks off later this week with the big banks. I know you and Matt Frankel are going to be talking about this on today's episode of Industry Focus. What are a couple of things you guys are going to be looking for this season? Yeah, I mean, it's a big, big week. I mean, earnings earnings uh, really going to full force for us on Wednesday when J.P. Morgan announces. Uh, then you've got... Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup on Thursday. You got Goldman Sachs. Uh, Goldman Sachs on. Um, I was going to say Golden Slacks. That's like one of my favorite little nicknames. Matty Arger Singer. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Golden Slacks. <laughs> Goldman Sachs on Friday. Um, and. So yeah, we were talking about the, the some of the things we're looking at going forward as things start to normalize a little bit more. Deposits have been through the roof clearly because of all the stimulus. Um, it's going to be interesting to see as that starts to abate if loan activity starts to pick back up. Um, with interest rates starting to tick back up, that loan activity could be a good thing and, and result in some some uh, boosts to that net interest income number that has been um, suppressed for so long for these banks. 
uh, does feel like given the state of the consumer today and the status of all those deposit accounts, certainly the credit card businesses have been doing very well, charge-offs are down significantly, uh, particularly for credit card uh, heavy companies like Citigroup. Um, I, 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 you look at the way these banks have performed to date. Uh, of all of those five year to date, they're all outperforming the market. But Wells Fargo is clearly uh, uh, leading the way there at, uh, with with 60% gain. Um, and I think that's for a number of reasons, but they were, they were really coming off of a low base, and it was just a question of whether that is a value trap or a value play. It's starting to look like a value play. It's starting to look like it's worked out pretty well. Uh, getting a better idea of where Wells Fargo stands with regulators uh, is, is going to be uh, something worth noting. And, and then one thing I did, you know, I love to search conference calls for terminology, words and terms and phrases. And so, last, I went through these five banks' uh, earnings transcripts earlier today, and search the word inflation because I feel like inflation is a word we're hearing more and more these days. And as it pertains to banks, I mean that that's kind of that's kind of a big deal, particularly these big banks because they have such a meaningful position in our economy. Last quarter, uh, the word inflation was mentioned three times in uh, Goldman Sachs call, two times in Citigroup's, zero times in Wells Fargo's. One time in Bank of America, but 14 times in JP Morgan's, which I just found fascinating that discrepancy there, that the disparity, that the difference between those. Uh, why, why so much more in JP Morgan? And I think that's for a couple of reasons. I think it's because JP Morgan uh, probably plays a greater role uh, in, in more of our, more of our economy uh, and more of our financial lives, even if you don't necessarily know it. Um, and then also, I think Jamie Dimon tends to take a bigger picture view of things um, as, as opposed to perhaps uh, something like a Wells Fargo, which is very focused right now on turning the business around, regulators and whatnot. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think these banks are in a pretty good position coming off of an underperforming year last year. They're performing very well this year. Uh, and, and it seems like we're going to get some good information regarding the state of the economy and, and how they're viewing the holiday season coming up here, too. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>